0: Welcome T V community. I am Bob Demena, and here with me as always is the very <laughs> Sith like Elliot Shibley. What is it? <laughs> I Don't even know that if I said it right. Sylflick. Sylph Lick. is how you pronounce it. Have you ever heard of it?
1: No. I thought you said Sith like.
0: <laughs> I no, you're not a Sith. Uh no. no. Uh Sylph Sylphick. Silf-
1: right. It means okay.
0: Slender and graceful, <laughs> okay. Normally, uh, towards a woman or a girl,
1: okay. I was gonna say it sounds like a ballerina, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, Who do we have on
0: today?
1: so our guest today was pretty awesome. Uh, and I hope you guys find her awesome as well. It is Alice Morrison, she is a Scottish adventurer based in Morocco, currently in Scotland. And she is the presenter of the BBC Two series, Morocco to Timbuktu, an Arabian adventure. Uh, she has undertaken some really tough physical and mental challenges, of which we talk about on this episode, including the Tour de Freak, cycling from Cairo to Cape Town, running around Everest, and completing a 4,000 kilometer exploration on foot of Morocco from the Mediterranean Sea to the Mauritian with her six camels. So, I mean, if that's not enough to intrigue you, this conversation was absolutely incredible. Um, she's also the author of Adventures in Morocco, Dodging Elephants, which we explain, and Morocco to Timbuktu, which we talked about earlier. So we really had a great time with this conversation. We hope you do, too. Uh, travel tip of the week. Look for layovers. Not, not something I always do. So Most of the time I search for nonstop. But if you do, you get to see an extra city and it could save you some money which is what we're doing when we go to Morocco.
0: You can save a significant amount of money and you get to explore another city. So if time is on your side and you want to see another city, um, by all means, I I highly recommend it. And not only layovers like through the booking process, but look for one-way tickets to destinations closer to your final destination. So if you're going to Europe, let's say you're going to Italy, maybe find a one-way to London and then go from London to Rome. And you might save a lot of money that way and get the C2 city. So play around with the Google flights option. And, and I think it could go a long way for you.
1: Support for the Traveler's Blueprint is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below the waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Gotta love that. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, which is right here. This is the Lawnmower 4.0. And you did hear that right is the 4.0. Join over 2 million men, including Bob and myself worldwide, who trust Manscaped. With this exclusive offer for you, which is 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code TTB at manscaped.com.
0: So preparing for this, one term came to my mind, and that was nether regions. And it, it sort of set me down this wormhole of the word. I was curious, you know, as a travel podcast, as a podcast that uh, focuses on culture and geography, I was curious to know whether or not nether regions was related to the Netherlands, the country. Is, is it? So no, not really. So they, they oh, share the prefix. Right. They, they share the word nether, which refers to a region at its lowest or furthest point or part for this part of a place, okay. especially with the illusion to hell or the underworld. Now removing that second part or, or not thinking about it right now, you kind of understand how the Netherlands came to be because they are at the, they're at topographically at a low point right near a the Rhine river basin. Mm-hmm. And now relating to the nether regions, it's a low point, I guess of the body. And so there you go. You have some interesting information. All
1: right. Well, uh, thank you for that insight, Bob. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, we've traveled together and I've always thought I was a pretty hairy person and Amanda can vouch for me. Uh, but in our time traveling together, I've learned that you probably are hairier than I am. And what is it like with this? I mean, I know I've loved it. I mean, it's got the light, it's got the ceramic blade. It just makes things so much easier.
0: <laughs> so, so thanks for noticing my hairiness. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, I, but I've, I've been a hairy guy for a long time since, you know, my, my teenage years, I, I grew hair pretty quickly and since that time i've been trying to figure out ways to keep it in check i i shave my chest my back my head my beard <laughs> like everywhere you know I, I i like to keep it clean and Manscaped sent us this and it's perfect it's lightweight the charge lasts forever the light the light is one of my favorite aspects of this tool because Great. i've been shaving for a long time and i've never had a light attached to the buzzer itself so when you're shaving and you have this spotlight shining on you. You can actually see the differences. In, yeah. It makes it so much easier. It's such an incredible idea to add a light. And simple. Um, and then again, as a traveler, it's perfect. You can throw it in your bag. The, the thing itself charges and lasts for a while, but then the wireless charging port is also charged and you can then use along your trips, um, making it for a pretty extended period of time where you don't have to worry about finding an outlet, which as a traveler, we know it doesn't always come around as often as we like.
1: And speaking of traveling, this has a travel lock on it, so you can actually prevent it from turning on while you're traveling, especially if you're throwing your bag around into an overhead compartment, onto a bus, or a trunk. That's big, yeah. yeah. huge. Huge. Yeah.
0: I, because how often I, I, I can't think of any specific items, but you, you shove some, your bag in somewhere just to get it on the plane. Your toothbrush, or the bus. old yeah, trimmers, you your, exactly, all Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You hear it. Going, and you're like, oh, yeah, exactly. So that, that seems to uh, be avoidable now with this, this new 4.0, the Walmart
1: 4.0. So again, you can get 20% off and free shipping by using code TTB at manscaped.com. That is 20% off with free worldwide shipping at manscaped.com and use the code TTB. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for your family jewels with Manscaped. Your Your balls balls will thank you. (laughs) Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Alice, welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint Podcast.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Uh, You have some incredible travel stories and you are quite the adventurer. And you're currently, well, you're currently in Scotland, but you're based in Morocco and you've done stuff from biking to running around Everest to hiking, all sorts of different places. And we cannot express how excited we are to talk to you about all of these adventures and why you did them, how you did them, and how you even got started doing them.
2: Well, I'm really looking forward to it too. And it, you know, it's, a, it's a real honor for me to be interviewed over the water in America. <laughs> so um, let's go for it.
0: Yeah. So you, you're described as the Indiana Jones for girls. And I, I love that name. I think that's, that's a badge of honor, right? That's pretty incredible. How did you get that name?
2: Well, I think it was it was about two years ago, and I'd just done some adventure, and and it was one of those things that I was writing it up, and it was like, oh, I found a lost city, and then we then there were these snakes that if they bite you, you will die. But I know how to overcome that by strapping a gourd onto your head, and you know, scraping off bits of your scalp. And I was describing all these things, and someone said that is just totally Indiana Jones for girls. And of course, the minute they said it, I took it. I was like, thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That one yeah. Too. So that's it.
1: That's my slogan now. Ah, oh, that's-, that's great. I mean, y- you really have done some incredible things. I mean, the the marathon disables. Is that how you pronounce that?
2: Desable. Sable.
1: Uh, all right, so the S is SAND. That's like Des Moines in Iowa.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so can you can you talk about that marathon? Because it is a crazy race that has crazy participants.
2: Yeah, and the Marathon des Sables it used to be called the toughest foot race on earth, but there, there's lots of, of ultra marathons now, which all which grab the title. Um, it's basically for six marathons and six days across the Sahara Desert, and you carry all your own food and equipment. So it's semi-supported. They give you tents um, and water, but the water is rationed. And if you take extra water, you are... Penalised, and Mm. when I did, there was one thousand one hundred competitors, and I came six hundred and sixty seventh. Just missed the mark of the beast. Um, Ten percent of women. Very high. uh, Actually, lots and lots of Americans come in. Americans and Brits are the highest amount of participants, and then French. And it's an ultra marathon, so you run six marathons in six days. But to make it more difficult, the middle one's are double, so you do fifty-two miles at one shot. And of course, Marathon des Sables, Sables in, French, in French is sand. And it, that's the killer you're running in the desert and it's you're running up and down dunes. It's actually quite hilly, which you don't expect. Oh. I think in a marathon uh, on the sand, you'd kind of think it was flat, but it's there's quite a lot of hills. In fact, on one ascent, the biggest ascent, which is called uh, the Green Mountain, Jabal al-Ahtar, which is not green at all. <laughs> you actually needed ropes at the top. So um, yeah, it's a pretty cool event.
0: That but it's hard. It, it hard seems to be undermining. Like it, my experience running on sand is limited to playing beach games at the Jersey Shore, and that can be hard. <laughs> it's, it's it's hard to run in sand. So hard. It, it's so draining, and to be able to do that many miles. So w- what's the total? What's the total miles of mileage of Um, two, hundred fifty
2: six. Two, whoa! Which is a said, right is that right or is it 206 kilometers oh my god now you're gonna get no i think i think it
1: is miles
2: okay yeah six marathons in six days six times 26 there we go yeah that's right
0: alice what type of footwear do you wear to like not get sand in your shoes and 156 156 thank you thank you 156 miles in the sahara desert running in sand going up and down sand dunes
2: do you want to know what the hottest temperature was
0: Sure. No, yes. No. <laughs>
2: yeah. 50 degrees centigrade.
1: And that is like 125? 25.
2: Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, it was intense. I mean, and you know what? I'm going to just talk about the footwear, but you've just reminded me of something. So sometimes when you're when you're doing things like this, you know, you get a lot of self doubt and I'm like, "Oh my god, I'm too fat, I'm too old, I'm too crap at running. And then, you know what would really, really cheer me up? Is if I passed a young, fit bloke, lying, lying prone on the sand with an drip on of it. He was gonna get a time penalty because the saline drip counts as extra water and you get a time penalty.
1: So you, you broke up a little bit there, but so you, you just said that that guy was laying on the ground with a saline yeah. intravenous right. strip.
2: Yeah, which cheers you up when you're feeling bad about yourself. Yeah. But uh, and also-
1: if, if you don't mind, because there may be some people just listening and not being able to see you. But if if you're comfortable with it, can you tell our listeners how old you are and when you did the Marathon to Sabbath?
2: Sure. I'm 57 now. I'm going to be 58 in... Uh, about six weeks. All cards and gifts are welcome. Um, <laughs> and I signed up for the Marathon to Sublo when I was 50, exactly 50, and I, I completed it. It's in April, so I finished it just before my 51st birthday.
1: Wow. All right. So and I've talked about this before, but I did my first marathon in 2019, and I was 29, 28, and that hurt. I can't yeah. imagine doing six of those in a row. When I do it, when I think about it, <laughs> when I think about a half marathon and having to do that twice, I'm like, no way, no. And then I did a marathon and I'm like, never again. And then you decided to do five more.
2: But the thing is about the ultras, I don't know if, you, I don't know if either of you ever done an ultra, which is any distance over marathon distance, but actually from, it's easier in a way because A, there is going to be walking. There just is. Um, even the elites, you know, there is going to be some walking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that makes a difference and it kind of levels the playing field. And also interesting fast fact for you both, because you are gentlemen's Sorry for being like so cis normative, but still <laughs> um, biological women, biological women are found after the age of 35, their endure- endurance increases Yes. So they're actually best placed to do the endurance events. Kind of, there's a window of opportunity Ah, there, which I've already passed because I was 50, but you know.
1: Yeah, I think my wife is a big runner currently, and she, yeah, she always keeps up to date on like when the peak performance is for men versus women, and women are, I think, the like early to mid 30s is like their peak for running. And I, the marathon was actually after I did a 50K. And that was mostly trail. And that was easier, in my opinion. I didn't hurt as... I hurt more after the 50K, but it mentally was easier.
2: That's really interesting. I think there is something about the ultra distance. And I think maybe it's because, you know, I don't know, for a lot of people, myself included, it's not about the speed. It's about the effort and finishing and the carrying on, you know, not dying.
1: Yeah. That's a big one. Yeah. I don't know if that's actually happened in the Marathon de Sable, but... It seems like a real possibility.
2: There's very good medical care, and Bob, okay. I just want to come back to your question because it's actually a really, really good one about shoes and footwear. Um, so obviously, your feet get completely destroyed in this marathon. One of the biggest things is you're running on, you're running on ulcerated feet. Most people by the end, it's kind of. De- It's very, very painful and it's quite grim. Um, But footwear, people differ. I would say that the best kind of footwear you need is a lightweight road shoe, trail shoe, cross. And you have to wear sand gaiters over the top so to stop the sand coming in. So that is like 100% necessary is your sand gaiters. Otherwise, your feet would be full of sand all the time. Um, And the footwear, I mean, I wore hockers. I wouldn't wear them again, I don't think, because the, the only reason being is hawkers tend to throw you onto your mid or your midfoot or your toes. Mm-hmm. And because you because I, <laughs> but most people do a lot of walking in the marathon, they, they're not that good for walking, the ones I wore. So I got a, a lot of blisters under my heels. And, mm. you know, also because I'm not a great runner, I don't have great form. So, you know, I'm pounding down on my heels. So I would probably choose a kind of a brooks really not too technical trail stroke road shoe okay light
1: that's my wife loves brooks she usually gets yeah, the brooks adrenaline series or the ghost yeah. yeah so did you do the marathon by by yourself or with a team
2: um i did it with a friend so i've got a friend who actually he signed oh. I say friend. Um, he persuaded me to do it because we met on a biking holiday in Morocco. He runs an adventure company and I, I I, joined up to mountain bike across the Atlas Mountains and it was quite hard. Um, there's some really gnarly descents and it's at altitude and you're in the wild. But I did this, it was a great holiday and he was one of the guides. And we just stayed, you know how, I mean, you, you guys must do this all the time. You meet people on your travels and you like each other and you just it's it's just a very loose connection but you you stay in touch send a few emails and then he was right. like yeah and you you maybe meet up again i went back to morocco i ran a half marathon the marrakesh half marathon for fun because i was working in morocco for a week or something and then i just he said to me look let's do the marathon they started together because he was living in morocco and i i said uh no
1: <laughs> as any <laughs> sane person would
2: yeah, I'd never run a marathon. I'm a horrible, like truly horrible runner. Um, not like your wife at all, at <laughs> all, Elliot, <laughs> seriously. And so I said no. And he said, Oh, come on, you cycled from Cairo to Cape Town. You're good at endurance. You can do it. You've got the head for it. So I, I said yes and then spent about nine months in terror thinking, What have I signed up to?
1: Wow. Yeah, it's that's incredible. that's kind of crazy. One of our yeah. one of our past guests, and you may or may not know him. He's in the adventure world as well. Uh, Eric Weinmayer. He is he's the guy that hiked Everest. The first guy to hike Everest blind, and he did wow, a grand so cool. He hiked, kayaked the Grand Canyon solo with a team, um, but he actually did the Tour de Sable as well with a team of three other guys, I think, and I think they ended up coming in second or third.
2: That's so impressive. And I'm, yeah. I'm like, so how? Impressive. It,
1: it yeah. is such a, a grueling mental challenge that it is really, it, I take great respect for anybody who ever has done it or will do it. It is really <laughs> impressive. Yeah.
0: Let's linger here. Your, your mentality and your, your, your mental ability to do these things. What is, what is your mentality towards these types of adventures and, and the physical challenges that you know you're taking on?
2: Um, that's, that is really a great question, Bob. I think probably that the, I mean, I joke about this and I say, what you really need to be an adventurer is, um, a very short memory (laughs) 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 and, and a bucket full of, and a bucket, bucket full of optimism. And I don't know how you guys feel about this, about traveling generally. Um, there, there is no point in being negative and there is no point in looking too far ahead so my biggest tip to anybody who's starting on a long adventure no matter your age your level of fitness anything that none of that is relevant at all you must have two things in your head one is i will succeed or i won't fail depending whether you're motivated positively or negatively and the second thing is um just you are living literally from checkpoint to checkpoint so whether your checkpoint is a day or a week or 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 a meter or a thousand meters, it doesn't matter. You just you just look directly in front of you. Do not look to the end because you won't finish.
0: Right, right. That's that's great life advice. It is. You know to, that seems yeah. really applicable to almost anything you want right, to do. Right, right. Yeah.
2: Can you can you imagine if you when when Corona started, if you'd known that fifteen months on we'd still be in,
0: oh, no. yeah,
2: Corona prison
0: yeah yeah yeah, yeah well, it may have, it may have
1: motivated some people to adhere to the rules a little bit better though
0: <laughs> yeah so so i want to move on there's so many different adventures that we could talk about that we won't unfortunately have time we're gonna have to probably do this again just just letting you know now but the one like, thing that i
1: i think that I, I think before we even get into more of them i think that whet the appetite for what type of adventures you do but like why did you even start where did you get from?
2: Uh, who start, I mean, who can ever answer that question in their life? It was a progression. So, <laughs> I I have I I answer this question in lots of different ways because, in truth, there are lots of different answers. So, I was brought up in Africa a lot. My parents, my mom got on a boat. My mom and dad got on a boat. And sailed from Scotland. My mom's first ever leaving from Scotland when I was six weeks old. She had a baby. She never left Scotland. She sailed to the middle of Africa to Uganda and lived in the foothills of the mountains of the Moon for eight years with a, you know. <laughs> so. Whoa. It's okay. So
1: you were born into it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, my parents were of that generation of Scots. And I mean, as Americans, you'll have lots and lots of Scots over there that really everybody traveled, you know, my, my dad's family, there are three siblings, and all of them, one is in Canada, one's in Australia, and one went all over Africa. I think it was a generational thing. And nobody seemed to have any fear in the way I don't, again, you'll know more about this than I do, but it seems to me that people nowadays fear a lot of things. They're, they're quite fearful and nervous and, and, you know, they won't let their baby go on the floor because it might get dirty or have a germ. You know, we honestly (laughs) play in the dirt. Well, my parents were of a different generation. So they were like, just go in the garden. Don't eat. Watch out for the snakes in the toilet. That was it. You know, Um,
1: your parents are home, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're in the
2: next door. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should, I should. They're, 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 you know, they're now in their mid 80s and they're still going strong. They're still, you know, fighting the good fight. But I like a lot of people that you're like, my mom now is going blind. She's got macular degeneration mm-hmm. and my dad's got terrible memory problems. But you know what? They never moan. They don't moan. I yeah. moan about Corona all the time. They just don't. They just get on with it. If they can't do something, you know, if my mom can't see something, she gets my dad to look, look at it for her. When my dad can't remember something, my mom organizes him. They work together as a team. It's quite inspirational, actually. I kind that of, is. there's so much to learn from people who are further on in their journey in life.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's a wealth of knowledge with people. Any, anybody older than you has more knowledge than you.
2: Yes, gentlemen. Look to your
0: teacher, <laughs> <laughs> and, and here you are. And this and is why, and, and now this is why we're here doing this with you. Yes. So yeah, I and maybe maybe we can transition into your other adventures this way. Did you do them with any sort of plan to influence the world or influence women? Uh, or like, was there any sort of motivation in that regard to these trips?
2: Initially, no. Initially, I was really just pushing myself and um, trying to improve myself and experience the world and live my life. But as I've gone through them and got better at certain things, not and worse at other things, but better at certain things, mm. I have found that more of a motivation. So my patch, if you like, is Africa and the Middle East. I speak Arabic and I spent a lot of my life in Africa uh, and, and the Middle Eastern region. So really, if, if I have, a couple of things I would love to be a part of. One of them is to increase understanding. Uh, and I like to say promote peace one, salam alaikum at a time, uh, mm. between both cultures, because there are so many stereotypes that the West has about the Arab world and the African world, and that the Arab and African world have about the West. Mm-hmm. And it's it's nice to just, you know, just by being yourself and by meeting people and talking about your stories and giving other people of voice through my platforms I think that's that's something that I hope is enjoyable and also useful enlightening for people and yeah. then the second thing is really you know just to encourage everybody don't put yourself down and worry about what you're not or what you're not enough of if I can do these things I swear to God you can so <laughs> just do it you know well
1: I don't Maybe, maybe not uh, for the average listeners, should they go to Cairo and bike down to South Africa without a plan but <laughs> let 's talk about that how How did this idea come to be, and then how did you execute it, and then what was the time frame
2: so this was really something great, and this again, I think will speak to a lot of people because what happened was I was the chief executive of a media company. And I I had a fantastic life. You know, I was going to the Cannes Film Festival and to the BAFTAs, which is our equivalent of your Oscars. Yeah, I had a great car. I had a great house. I had great friends. Really, I had an interesting job. I I had a team of 40 people working for me. I had a turnover of like 10 million pounds. I don't know what that is in dollars, $15 million a year. And I built that up myself. And then it all collapsed. And I won't bore you with all the reasons, but Basically I had to fold my company into a larger company, uh, make a lot of the staff redundant. And one of the first people I made redundant was myself because there were other people to take over from me. And it was very bruising. It was a low point, Um, you know, I killed my own baby basically. Uh, And of course the staff hated me because they were losing their jobs, even though there was nothing much I could do about it. And I fought as hard as I could, but fair enough, that's, you're the boss. That's it. So it was very, very bruising. And I, I I, just, I kind of wanted to get away. And there was this race, the Tour d'Afrique. And that's A F R I Q E, the Tour d'Afrique, the Tour of Africa, like the Tour another, de France. Another
1: but, French thing.
2: I know. Like the Tour de France, but three times longer from Cairo to Cape Town. It's a race. Wow. A race. So you do a tap, you do the stages, the every day. And um, I signed up for it. And the reason I signed up for it was years before a friend of mine had said, oh, look, this amazing race across Africa. And it always stuck in my head. And I just thought, well, you know, it's a great way to see Africa. It's safer. Going on your own as a woman on a bike, I'm not confident to do that. And this was a race. So, you know, we had backup, we had like trucks to carry our tents. we had to do everything ourselves, but we still had the truck. There was some. There was the route was mapped. You had to follow the route, so it felt like a really great way to see Africa.
0: Is there a road that takes you from Cairo to South Africa?
2: There is not.
0: <laughs> I didn't think so. I didn't. There think is
2: so. not. So. so I I used a mountain bike. So some people used. Um, Cross, uh, cyclocross bikes, mm-hmm. and I used a mountain bike because it was more comfortable. So, so if you like the slower riders, like myself, use mountain bike frames, and the far, the race, the true, you know, we're going to win this racers, and it was actually uh, two Americans who won the race, or an American, yeah, two, um, maybe an American and Canadian who won the race and the male and female sections, but they did cyclocross bikes, and um, yeah, it, a lot of it was off road.
1: That's incredible. So so you can go. I, I, I'm just doing some Google searching while we're talking. But the Tour de Afrique 2022, I just looked at it right now because my wife got into – she's always been a, a cyclist. Um, but she purchased her first real road bike last year. And within probably two months, she did like 500 miles. Wow. And she would do these long 60-plus mile bike rides around our area. And she absolutely loved it. And I didn't realize. So the Tour to Freak is uh, 11,000 kilometers, so like 600 some miles. And it's January 13th to May 7th in 2022. But I didn't realize the cost for that was so high. And it, but is it, is that just like different tour companies that you can purchase through, or is the actual price 19,000? That's US um, dollars.
2: Yeah, 19,000 US. No, that would be about right because okay. it'll have gone up since when I did it when you see the organization that is required to get you through 10 countries, I mean, when we did it, you know, some of those countries are almost always in civil conflict, if not outright war. Yeah. Uh, You're looking at drought in some areas. Uh, We actually got, we had people at one stage at the side of the road begging for water. Mm. So when you think of the scale of the operation it takes to get riders through that, that money is is like is worth spending.
1: Wow. So do you have to support yourself or do you have a support team?
2: No, the tour de France is a proper bike race. So okay. what you have you have basically there there are two major support. The support it's run by a South African company who are like hard as nails. They and the tour, our tour leader, and she's still mainly the leader, um, is is a South African woman who you would never ever cross. She terrified (laughs) all of us, but you need to be like that. At one stage we got fired on by um, locals. Uh, They shot at us and they took six of our people hostage for a time. And um, (laughs) our Sharita, who was our tour organizer, she mobilized the army in that country in Kenya. And she had the army and tanks on the road within an hour and a half of hearing of it. Wow. you know, it's pretty serious. It's it, it's a reasonably serious undertaking, I think, yeah. and uh, and a great one.
1: And then how? <laughs>
2: <Boss> <laughs> just shaking his head. Just
0: uh, going, I'm just. I. am at a loss. I'm at a loss for words. I mean, just the logistics of it are, are mind-boggling. The the physical challenge of it is mind-boggling. The, uh, the like the the, the, the idea of seeing all these different countries and you're, you're traveling through all these different cultures and they're so, like, as foreign as you can be from everything I know in the United States. And to be able to bike through that and travel that way is just, it's so incredible to me. That's amazing. that like what, a, what an incredible experience. I would do that. Experience. Yeah. Do it,
2: guys. I, I really recommend this as a life... A real true genuine life experience that you you will never be able to replicate or do again. And it's 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 a it's a jewel in my life. I would how, highly recommend it. To anybody. How long did Any, it take you? It takes um a hundred days of cycling and 20 rest days. So again, like the Tour de France, you know, you have your your etap and then you have a day off, which oh my god, we used to look forward to those days off like. I've never enjoyed anything as much as my days off from the Tour de Freak. So getting the, off the saddle,
1: if you're doing if you're doing about 100 or 115 actual biking days that equates to about 100 kilometers or more a day on average.
2: I think at one point I worked out the av- this and it, it was slightly different when I did it because the route was different because when I did it Egypt was safe and the north of the Sudan was very dangerous. So they always go a slightly different route. Um, we did, this is the figure that stayed in my head, 134 kilometers a day, which I think is about 85 miles a day, mm-hmm. roughly. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the, the rough thing, but you know, some days were very long and some days were, were shorter. And okay. of course we had mountains, Ethiopia, the highlands of Ethiopia, I mean, we just climbed, we climbed an average of 1,000 meters, which is what, 3,000 feet a day in Ethiopia. And we were there for 24 long days. Um, that, was, that was really challenging, you know, the distance. And or so Ethiopia as well, I don't know if you know this, but the actual water table of Ethiopia is corrupted. So you cannot avoid getting sick. And that's why, that's one of the big problems for the population is diarrhea yeah mm. that's what people die of wow. because that th- that there's there's infection within the water yeah. Yeah. within the natural water supply Did
0: How you many see wildlife i'm sorry elliot
2: i'm so glad you asked me that question bob because i can exclusively reveal that my first book which is about the tour de freak is called dodging elephants Mm-hmm.
1: There
2: it is. Yeah. I'm not so sure I that's... to give away. <laughs> 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 You're
1: there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <And exceptionally laughs> elephants, I should have said. <laughs> but yeah, we, we did see wildlife. We saw elephants, giraffe, gazelles, snake. I mean, the usual reptile snakes. Um, but we did see actual, on the road, you know, cycling down the road and seeing giraffe just there is yeah. wonderful. Uh, uh, uh,
0: hypothetically speak, so I, I, I worry about wildlife, specifically like man-eating wildlife, just kind of, I have like an unrealistic, unrational fear of these animals. Um I've never encountered a lion, but you never know when one could eat you. It, cycling through Africa and having these these predators present, I know like the bicycle sort of triggers the predatory instinct to chase. Did you encounter anything like that, or has anybody ever in one of these races encountered a a predator that is triggered to chase down a, a bicycle a cyclist
2: well let me ask the first thing about lions first so when we got into Botswana, we had a we had a hunter a, um, a tracker hunter with us to check out all our our bivouac sites our campsites and for example at one of them we had to we had to move on we had to cycle an extra 5k or something that day because there were lion prints around where we were going to bivouac mm. uh so if there were if there were um any of the carnivorous thing mm-hmm. for in the region, we moved on um, and that was always checked. I did get chased. Uh, my, I mean, I'll tell you the story. So I was. We were on the border between uh, Zambia and Botswana. And really, the main wildlife area was Botswana, but we were on the border. And we're cycling quite slowly. We're in a kind of very strung out, like a long necklace of cyclists with maybe hundred meters in between them. The kind of the word came down that there were we were in a long tarmac road, very slim, and on each side there was high woods, brush, very mm-hmm. thick thorn trees, and scrubland. So impenetrable, you couldn't. It'd be hard for you as a human to get through it. And we were just cycling along, and I got the word came down the road that there were elephants ahead, and I just thought, okay, I'm going to stop because I'm frightened of elephants. I I lived in Africa. Every year, people were killed by elephant trampling them. They're aggressive. They're territorial. So I thought, okay, I'll just stop, stop my bike, put my suntan cream on. And as I was putting my suntan cream on, with everything down like my feet on the ground, my bike facing in this direction, a charging bull elephant came out of the brushwood about 50 meters ahead of me with its ears flapping trumpeting which is a sign it's of aggression obviously and it's charging me I'm in a potentially death dying situation in fact to be absolutely honest I thought I was gonna die so I, I grabbed my bike dropped didn't Dropped everything, turned the bike round, got on, and started steaming on the pedals. And so I'm pedalling, and this could only have happened. This probably took about a maximum of thirty seconds, but time completely slowed down in my head. I'm pedalling as fast physically as I possibly can. A bull elephant can run at fifty kilometres an hour. You know, I'm I'm never going to outrun it. It was so close that I could feel the vibrations of its feet under my bike. And what was going through my head was was this: I'm going to die. This is going to be shit for my parents and my brother and my family. What a stupid way to die in the African bush. Is it going to hurt? Is he going to crush me? Am I going to have crush be crushed, or is he going to skewer me with a tusk? And how long is it going to take? And what's it going to you know what's it going to feel like? Should I keep pedaling or should I try and run into the bush? No, I can't run into the bush. There are thorn trees. The thorns are like four finger long. I, I'll never make it. Keep pedaling. And, like, and I know how fast, and I can feel him getting closer. I can feel the vibrations increasing. Boom, 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 as this elephant is running right behind me. And I, I, just, I just think, I'm, I know I'm gonna die. But I, you know, your body, you're just thinking, well, pedal, 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 just go. And then once he'd got me out of his area he stopped so okay. suddenly everything stopped the noise stopped because all this time he's right behind me trumpeting you know doing that trumpet call yeah and then it stopped and then he stopped and i pedaled out of out I, I was so shaken i was oh absolutely God.
0: did you go from whatever place you were in all the way to first place in that time span of running from the airport? <laughs> you pedaled so fast
1: <laughs> I
2: swear that's the only time I achieved athletic excellence ever. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, oh, that was,
1: is the adrenaline. Yeah. It must
2: have The been adrenaline was insane. hard. I it probably took I think it took it took at least probably took two full days truthfully for me to come off that and I felt unwell, you know, oh. I I didn't feel well at all and of course you have to keep cycling, you know, I well, <laughs> Yeah. It, there's no Especially, stopping. Yeah,
0: no, now the elephants
2: right? are <laughs> yeah, I mean, so that was it. And it was a very odd experience. It was a very interesting. Of course, it's great. You know, now I have this amazing story to tell. I can name my book after it. And but in truth, yeah, there is an element of stupidity involved. You know, I'm just cycling across Africa. Really, it would have been a very stupid way to die and a, and a very, very painful way to die. So I'm very glad I didn't. Alhamdulillah. Thanks, God. We too are broad. too.
1: Yeah, we are too. Wow. Uh, I I can't imagine what that feeling is, but I know if I drink coffee in the morning and I have a little <laughs> bit too much, and then I go for a run, that I my heart is pounding from the caffeine, and it is not fun. It actually makes me feel slightly ill. Yeah, and get nauseous. I sometimes. imagine that is like a tenth, maybe even a hundredth of what you felt.
2: Same feeling. It's just that feeling of like everything, your body has just suddenly exploded into the state. And I do think for even in our normal, I don't know if you guys see this, but just in our normal everyday lives when we have we are overloaded with stress or threat from workers, you know, from co-workers, from even from social media, you know, when people send in those little hate posts or whatever, and you're, you you get this reaction, I think it's it's not great for the body. So yeah. You, know, yeah, you do have to absolutely. watch it. You have to watch it.
1: So you you touched on this a little bit, but how many racers are there that do the full Tour d'Afrique?
2: Sixty three did it in my year.
1: Sixty three.
2: Um, yeah, eleven wow. women and fifty two men.
1: Wow. And what is the typical? Do you do you all finish at the same time? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's a race. Oh, that's right. It yeah. was a race.
2: I mean, there were yeah. so. I Not mean, a the no, the the quick races would be finishing in like three, four hours. And the slow ones like me might take a whole day. You know, we had to finish before dark That's or we got swept up. Yeah. So it really varied. And for a lot of the race, you're, you're racing on your own. Sometimes we had to keep in a peloton. Mm. It, on the tarmac roads, when it was very long distances on tarmac, it was great if you could stay in a peloton with r- r- riders about your own level Mm -hmm. because then you can travel so much more quickly and safely and with less energy. Uh, And then, but on other parts, you're on the dirt roads, you're on your own. I was on my own for so much of the time, which was fantastic being on your own in the African bush. You're a bicycle. Yeah. Yeah. You're just king of the world. Honestly, it's the best feeling.
1: Um, So the, the question I have about the bikes, in the website I was looking at it, it recommends either a mountain bike or a hybrid. And I guess that's because there is a lot of dirt and you can't travel as fast in a mountain bike or a hybrid bike as you could a road bike.
2: No, no, and it's heavier. So, you know, you'd expend a lot more energy. I mean, the, the thing behind this, I, I had a steel frame, I had a, a basically a steel frame bike. And my thing, and it was built for me by, I don't know if you have giant bikes in the US, mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, but it was built for me by a techni- an engineer from Giant Bikes. It wasn't a Giant bike, but it, it was that. So I had really a great bike built specifically for me. Steel frame, because if it broke, which is a possibility because the, the terrain is extremely tough, some of it, and you're in the middle of nowhere so you need something that can be welded you know carbon you can't use carbon because if it breaks it's broken you're you're at the race yeah. you've lost your bike so it has to be steel frame but the racers all race i mean they might i'd say now they might use things like gravel bikes you know we're, we're 10 years on it was 10 years ago since i did it so people use different bikes but i wanted to sit up and beg i wanted to see the view you know i'm not a racer etc so okay i so-
1: gonna do it uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. You pay for it and I'll do it. I'll be there. Okay. Well, you can do, you can <laughs> do
1: individual sections of it.
0: Yeah. I would definitely think about doing it. I would. Uh, yeah. I, I think that it could be in our future.
2: Uh, I you, you should know. do it. Bob. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to honestly urge you to do this. And to put this into perspective, it was an incredible feat of endurance and the people who did it were intensely varied. And it was not all, you know, great race. We did have some great bike races. We had, you know, we had, we had a master's world champion. He won the race, an American guy. He was actually the second oldest guy in the race and he won it because he was mm-hmm. just on it. We had like mm-hmm. a really good set of Dutch racers. It was very international, Good, really good set of Dutch racers, Canadian racers and American racers, Australians. Those were like our, and But we also have people like me. We had um, lovely Ribka, who I don't think she would mind me saying that she was she's quite large, but she did it. You know, we had a guy who was 70. He did it. We had Daniel, who just retired as an accountant from America. And not only did he do he'd never he'd never done any biking really before. And he did this whole race. He then went on to cycle right around the world. So really, really, it was much more about this. Yeah. than this mm-hmm, mm-hmm, truthfully.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah a lot of it is right i, I think that's like 80 percent of it um yeah yeah so I, I are we do you have anything else to add with this specific race because i do want to get into the morocco to timbuktu experience
2: yeah no i think i think with tda the only thing i would say is no i think we've done everything i mean there's so much about this race just to, one day I'll tell you about the toilet tents, but you know, it might turn people's stomachs.
0: <laughs> the, the, sh- okay, should, should we get into that? Because now I'm curious. Uh- <laughs> I, oh, I feel like
1: we can't just leave that as a cliffhanger.
2: Okay. So it's 63 riders. <laughs> and in some places where we camped, the whole village, if we were near a village, the entire village, we'd often be on something like a football pitch. That they would come and sit round to watch us. We were, we were at the entertainment. It was like the circus had come to town, these weird foreigners sitting in the middle. So we couldn't go to the bathroom. So there were two toilet tents, uh, which is basically like a, a slim tent. And you go in it and there's a hole in the ground and you do your business. 63 mm. riders, mm. Ethiopia, everyone had stomach problems. So mm. my stomach, I mean, the smell was just Wonderful. really bad. So you my need some stomach- poopery. Oh. <laughs> Industrial. So I just, just, you know, psychologically, I couldn't go to the bathroom. Like my, my bottom closed up. It was like, <laughs> no way, Jose. We are, the, forget it. No chance. And so after a week, so you imagine you're like, you were cycling hard and you're eating a lot. We ate a lot of food. We needed like six to 10,000 calories a day. So we're, um, and so my stomach is getting bigger and bigger and I can't go to the bathroom. So after a week, I, I, I was taking laxatives, nothing's happening, nothing. So I went, we had a medical team and our, our our doctor, our doctor was the handsomest man I've ever met. And he used to wear like a, a kind of a scarf, almost like a turban and sit on top of the medical truck and look wistfully into the distance. He was a real, <laughs> He was like a film star. Yeah. It, was called, it was called Matthias. Hello, I am Matthias. I think he was French Canadian, Matthias. So I had to go to him, and I was so embarrassed. You go into the like the truck. It's a little medical truck. And I, mean, I said, I'm really, I can't go to the bathroom. <laughs> And he said, "Well, Alice, if you can't go to the bathroom in another three days, I'm going to give you an enema." I was like, <laughs> no, I cannot like letting the best-looking man in the world stick a tube at my bottom in the middle of Africa. This is the worst situation. Uh. <laughs> oh, so, what happened? I mainlined those laxatives. I tripled and the dose. Straightened the ivy.
1: Start yeah, looking for also,
2: elephants
0: to chase you and scare you half to death till I just left. <laughs> exactly,
2: it was a disaster. So that's it. So my top. This is like the top tip, guys. Bob, Elliot, when you do it, and Elliot's wife, go to the big bathroom before you get to camp. Get your mm. stomach into a routine that you can go into the bush before camp. Okay. Don't Noted. wait till we'll camp. Noted.
0: Noted. All right. Whew, okay. All right. That I'm glad we. I'm glad TDA we. Tda pro tip there. of the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So so the one of your trips that I'm really excited to talk about is your Arabian your Arabian adventure. Take the lead. Rope. What's this one about? Suck.
2: So Morocco to Timbuktu, and first of all, I've got to apologize to everybody for the word Morocco to Timbuktu, an Arabian adventure, because actually it's an African adventure. Um, neither Mali nor Morocco are, in fact, Arab. So <laughs> there are Arabs in Morocco, but, but that, that was something that the BBC wanted to use that title because they felt it was quite romantic. And I was a bit like, oh. anyway, Morocco to Timbuktu. So this was an idea to travel the salt routes from the very northernmost tip of Morocco, Tangier, all the way south into Timbuktu, which is one of those places everybody has heard of Timbuktu. Nobody knows where it is. Now, right. come on, Bob Elliott, can you tell me where Timbuktu is?
0: No, that's the whole, that's the whole saying, right? It's that's in where Africa. it comes from, You're right? Timbuktu, nobody knows that. That's a, it's synonymous with unknown, right? You're in the middle of nowhere.
2: Yeah.
1: Exactly. I remember, and- the, I don't know, this quick side tangent, the Disney film, uh, The Aristocats. Oh, yes there when they when the i don't even remember who it is the the mean villain is trying to get rid of the little kittens he sends them to timbuktu that's Mm -hmm. where i remember it from
2: in popular culture so timbuktu is actually in mali and it's it's um in it's in the saharan deserts in the it's not near the coast which is relatively safe it's further inland um and so the idea was to follow the ancient trade routes so in the from the 1500s to the late 1800s, the main trade between Africa and Europe and actually Africa, Europe, America was through Morocco was through that, and Algeria, through that North African belt, because Morocco is only eight miles from Europe. You can swim from Morocco to Europe, actually. Uh, you can see Europe from Tangier. So that was a huge trade route. And not only for Europe, it was also Morocco was also reached out to the Ottoman Empire, which was one of the dominant empires of the era. So the whole of the Middle East, the, the, the routes in between India. It was a central trade hub. So we what we wanted to do was follow that and just you know tell people what there was along the way mm-hmm. and our premise was that in in that time travel as we know it long distance travel started with the discovery of salt because people Ooh. could preserve food
0: right yeah yeah that was Before one of the first that, forms of currency i believe right that a, yeah.
2: exactly yeah well, really great cool. yeah you know mm-hmm. so really salt has had this incredibly significant effect on our lives because when when man human beings discovered how to use salt to to preserve food then they could start traveling Mm -hmm. and the salt initially wasn't so much gleaned from the sea it was gleaned from uh, mines from rocks and when uh, the era of the great trade as you said bob salt was used as currency and it actually was as valuable as gold kilo for kilo Wow. Yeah. So we, we followed that route, <laughs> and it was tremendously exciting. It, it was very much a kind of historical discovery and a modern-day exposition of the countries that we were going through. We, we found that it was more dangerous to travel that route now even than it used to be, and that actually it is now impossible because of al-Qaeda mm. and the issues in the whole Saharan desert Belts, the whole Sahel belt in the middle of Africa. If you look at your right. map of Africa, you've got a big belt of desert right across the middle of it. And that is the Sahel, the, which means the plain, the Great Plain. And that now is really like, I, I, I don't know if this is a correct word to say, so excuse me if I'm saying something terrible, but it's kind of like what you, we we would say in Britain, like the Wild West. It's completely lawless. Yeah. There, the, there are all sorts of different peoples living there, but there are also all sorts of people incur- coming in Um, And using that space for smuggling, for drugs, human smuggling, uh, cigarettes, guns, is very, very dangerous. And Timbuktu in um, about, let me get this right, was invaded and occupied by Al-Qaeda, which was devastating for the people who lived there and devastating for the city. And then it was freed by the French and by the UN, and it's still uh, protected by the United Nations Peacekeeping Force. And it's one of the most dangerous United Nations peacekeeping missions in the world. People are killed every month. there, protecting the citizens of Timbuktu. Wow. I know. I know. We, we live see, in a very strange world, you know. You sure It's 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 really sad to me that Timbuktu is a difficult place to live anyway. It's in the middle of the desert. It's it's quite near the River Niger, so it can go there for water. But it's not a rich, currently a rich place, It's rich in culture, very rich in culture. But the people are mainly farmers or camel herders just trying to do their jobs. They used to have a tourist industry. It's all been destroyed. They are terror. When we were there, the people were terrified that the UN would pull out and Al Qaeda would move back in and take their city again. What, what? What's the point of that, really? What's the point of taking somebody else's city, really?
0: Yeah, that's yeah, so disappointing. I, I don't know. That is that's an interesting region in Africa. I know that there is actually this incredible uh, feat. Uh, I, I don't even know the organizations that are taking part in it but they want to plant a wall of trees that line the southern end of that desert strip because apparently the desert's growing southward and yeah. and killing vegetation and essentially devastating ecosystems and so there is a, a joint effort to build this gigantic wall of trees to save that that's
2: um, fantastic I'm going to look that up I didn't know about that that's yeah. really really Thing.
0: that and that that region of the world too is the res, the reason we have hurricanes on the east coast of the united states the hot air travels across that desert uh-huh. and then it makes its way across the atlantic ocean and creates the warm air that causes our hurricanes and 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 devastates parts of the united states yeah
2: i um, didn't know that either thank you very much i love these facts
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i'm full of uh trivia world trivia questions <laughs> yeah uh Wow. It is. It is so cool. Is this the trip that you did with the camels?
2: So I did ride a camel for a short time on this trip, but no, the the big trip I did with the camels I've just finished. um, And that was, I walk and that was a slightly different experience because I did Morocco to Timbuktu with the BBC as a documentary and it was very much about meeting people, interviewing people. And we, you know, we traveled it all. But of course we traveled. We used the train. We used shared taxis. We had to get on a United Nations flight to actually get into Timbuktu. There was no other way to get in.
1: Oh, wow.
2: And I once, I also really love my physical adventures. So I decided by a long roundabout path, I ended up walking across the whole of Morocco, uh, including the disputed region of the Western Sahara from the Mediterranean coast all the way down to Mauritania. And that was with my six camels and my three Amazir guides I hasten to add.
0: So what was that like now walking through, through Morocco with camels? Yeah. That, so that's, uh, I guess I got the, I got your trips confused. You have so many of them. They're hard to (laughs) keep up with. (laughs) So yeah, let's break this one down now.
2: This was very, I think when you, when you asked me earlier about did I have more of a mission I think this is a very good example about how I found that my way, my, my, my things have evolved. I've evolved, I hope, although work in progress. I'm sure you have. Yeah. Work in progress. But I think also my, my desire for doing things has evolved as well. And this particular exploration was much more of an exploration. Uh, I I actually started trying to do, to make a living at being an adventurer full time by writing and a lot of writing and getting sponsors and things like that. And the way I did that, and again, this is my top tip, everyone. I just started signing my emails adventurer, Alice Morrison, comma adventurer. And then I'd put, I'd like put it out there. So, you know, I had to do stuff. My mom, it's my mother. She kept phoning me up and saying, Alice, adventurers have got to adventure. What are you doing next? There's no point in sitting (laughs) in your back. (laughs) Yeah, so she she does. (laughs) You know, and I really feel it. And and there are times like now, you know, I'm sitting in Edinburgh because of Corona, I've got trapped here, and I'm writing a book, which is great, and I have to do it, but I I feel phony writing adventurer a little bit on the bottom of my letter, thinking I hope you, I hope I'm all right still. But you are I'm, not a phony. But <laughs> you know what I mean. You do have to. You do if you put yourself out there and say I am this. I think as human beings we feel much better if if we are that if we are doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, yeah. if you're being authentic, you feel much more comfortable when you're. I think the difficulty for all of us as humans is. When for whatever reasons, and, you know, sometimes the reasons are really good, we stop being our authentic selves and start really, we can all exaggerate our good bits and hide our negative bits a bit, but you have to try and keep that, the sense of self. Do you agree? Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, even with this podcast, I find myself, what is it called when you have um, that syndrome where you, you, imposter syndrome, Mm. where I tend to forget that, you know, we've been hosting this podcast for years now, and we've had incredible people on, just like yourself, and adventures. And I tend to forget that I am the host, and I, I almost at times feel like I'm pretending uh, in a way. It's, <laughs> it's 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 an odd feeling, but no, this is this is legitimate, and and and.
2: It's really legitimate. What you do is really, really legitimate, and it's it's hard work. It's hard to get guests on. It's hard to get the publicity going and to keep a podcast going. And you know, a lot of people start podcasts, but actually being a a much more professional, if you like, podcaster is is a real effort and a skill. Asking questions is a skill, so you you absolutely must own that and be proud of it.
1: All right. Well, and you you do have experience, and we should. This actually is a good transition because you have. Your own podcast, Alice in Wonderland.
0: Great name, you, by the way. Yeah. Perfect,
2: perfect. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It, it it kind of gets. I have to in in British English, it gets a bit lost. I have to say Wonderland with an A, um, otherwise people. Like, oh. So yes, I do. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I just use my podcast. Truthfully, to tell my own adventures and share the life that I'm living with people, which is rather a selfish podcast, I apologize for that. But because I'm seeing a lot of very exciting, interesting things, that's what I'm just trying to bring. So well, it's not go. like yours, which is so inclusive and has so many different parts to it. So I but take. We're my not traveling,
0: yes. So we, <laughs> we're we not adventures. Yeah, we couldn't talk about our own adventures. We would, we would have ran out a uh, hundred and some episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, it's been so cool you guys have done this all through Corona because we need it. My goodness, we need some escape, don't we?
0: Yes, we do. Yeah, it, it, it's helped us with that. Is that
1: is yeah. Sure. Um, get, get, yeah, get some peace of mind and pretend to travel.
2: Well, yeah. this last expedition I did, I actually completed. It was in three parts. It was a river, the Dra River, the Sahara Desert. And then the last part was through the Atlas Mountains. And the last part I completed during Corona. Oh, so wow. it felt like a very historical Time, because it was I did it from August to October last year, and I got to see see and witness and bear witness to how these very rural communities in the High Atlas Mountains of Morocco how Corona affected them, and that was really a very special time. So
1: it even reached them.
2: Yeah. So even the no, So one of the things that there were a couple of points that I think I'll just just to highlight how far the tentacles of this disease have spread. So the nomads of that area, they live a nomadic lifestyle. They live off their herds of sheep and goats in the mountains, and some of them have camels for transport also, depending where they are. Um, And two things happened. There's been a drought in Morocco for several years, although this year we've had good rainfall, so that's great. But there's been a drought for several years. Desertification, Bob, as you mentioned, is really increasing. And people graze their animals freely on the mountaintops in the desert and but it, the pasture has dried up the pasture has died because of the drought so the farmers were already suffering and then you bring in corona and what happened with corona is every single morocco close to tourists all the restaurants shut all the cafes shut they were under curfew as well people had to pull in their budgets so they're not buying meat so the nomads their only source of money to buy tea flour and sugar is to sell a goat or a sheep, and the price dropped from five hundred dirhams, which is about fifty dollars, to one hundred dirhams, which is ten dollars. And we saw nomads taking a goat or a sheep to the local corner store, which is a tiny kiosk, and asking the shopkeeper to please take the goat in exchange for tea, flour, and sugar. Which, you know, it's kind of heartbreaking, actually, truthfully there's nothing good to say about that
1: no i didn't realize how far-reaching it was i thought no. there were some communities that hadn't been touched by it and i'm sure i don't think there's anywhere seldom. in the world
0: that hasn't been i i don't think that there i think it's i think it's on every island um some islands were able to manage it and get rid of it quicker but i don't know if there's any region of the world that was untouched this, wow. thing, this thing spread it um, has
2: i mean we we walked about 900 miles during this last, the third part of this expedition, we didn't meet a single person with the virus, we didn't, nobody had any relation or family member or friend with the virus, there wasn't, we were in very far in the, mm-hmm. out, out of the we, city, but every single one of them had been impacted economically, because our world is now.
0: Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, um, so I, I I want to ask you about the safety of Morocco, and so there was a there there's a there was a really sad story, and so I'm going to be forewarned if you're listening to this, a very sad story about two young women who were traveling through Morocco years ago that really stuck with me I, when I heard about it years ago. It really it it was really a very gruesome story where two young girls from uh, so it was a Danish woman and a Norwegian woman were found in walking through and hiking through Morocco, and they were decapitated by Al Qaeda. Uh, back in 2018 um was there any did you have any encounters with any dangers like that while you were there are you familiar with that story by the way
2: uh, actually that happened in my village that's where I live that the incident happened in um a place that I myself hike and run to on my own very regularly it's one of my training runs um wow. so I yeah I pass it all the time and it's about seven kilometers from my house. Wow. And what happened was the young woman, I, when it happened, my whole village, I live in the village. So if you, as you know, like places like Nepal where you have hiking villages, this is Imlil where I live in the high atlas, is very much like that. It's the center for hiking in that region. And people come from all over the world to hike the highest mountain in North Africa, Mount Chubkal, mm. and to enjoy the Amazir, the Berber way of life. So, you know, my village is full of mules to carry equipment and, you know, secondhand hiking shops and everyone's a guide or their dad's a guide or, and even now some of them, the women are becoming guides or they have a tiny sheet where they'll rent out a room for $20. So it's, that's the, to, the economy of that village, as well as farming, which is a very rich agriculture area. We have walnut, plum, apple trees, and you know domestic farming. And what happened was I heard about it because I live in a family compound and my last brother came on my door and he's crying. And I was like, "Hashir, what's happened?" He said, "A catastrophe. Two young women have been killed in our mountains. It's not local people. We know it cannot be local people. But this is the biggest shame. With their parents—they've been beheaded, and the whole village was in absolute and utter shock yeah. and outraged that somebody would come in to their mountains, the sacred. These mountains are—we all." There are mountains, and someone would come in and desecrate them by acting in this way and acting in the name of Islam. I live entirely with Muslims. This is not in their name. They're, hor- they're horrified. My landlord was sitting on my sofa crying, saying, I have daughters this age. How could this happen? People were, we had a huge ceremony of remembrance. We still talk about it all the time what happened was al qaeda some men had come in from marrakech and agadir they had come to the mountains we think two days before they had lain in wait they wanted to kill tourists and those girls were the very very unlucky people who they they found so who to they were going to kill somebody <laughs> somehow and it was those two young women it was horrific but it does not represent morocco i f- it's I hesitate to say anywhere is safe. We live in a world where nowhere is safe. Um, I I mean, that's the fact I feel safer in Morocco than I do when I get on the tube in London. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. a fact. Or when I go into any crowded airport, Mm. I feel so nervous there. And in Morocco, you know, it's a very respectful country. Try and obey the rules in order to get closer to people, you know, don't go in short, short shorts and like a, a tank top, because then you'll put a barrier between yourself and other people because they don't dress like that. Just, uh, just, just go with the rules and be flexible. Keep your eyes open and enjoy the hospitality of the country. It's such a lovely place to travel. It yeah. really is.
0: I, I really want to go there. I want to go to Casablanca and uh, I don't want to butcher the name. Chef Chef Juan, Chef Sheffuan. Chef one. Chefchaun. Chefchaun. Yeah, the beautiful city, right? It's oh, beautiful. It's beautiful. I, I've only seen pictures, but Yeah. Yeah, it's gorgeous.
2: You might be a bit disappointed in Casablanca. It's a big modern city.
0: yeah, okay. I mean y- y-
2: but it's worth a visit it's quite cool. If you like if you're into kind of the arts and media scene, then Casa has a big a big modern Moroccan cool kind of music arts scene there um, like any modern city. Uh, but of course if you come to Morocco uh, come on. A you have to go to Marrakech and B you have to come to the Atlas Mountains and C you have to go down to the desert. Without a doubt, to that Very accessible. Great. And you should really go to the coast to Essura as well. So Elliot, come.
0: We we've been throwing around where to go. Morocco sounds pretty good. So Elliot and I have a have a trip that we can take this year in twenty twenty one. We're throwing around Colombia, but now we now you've Ooh. just you just threw another you just threw another country into the mix. And- Will
1: you be back by the end of twenty twenty one?
2: Oh, well, I have to. I mean, I'm dying here. You know, it's I mean, it's just dreadful being being marooned. I mean, my home, my 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 cat, my home, my life is in Morocco and I can't get back because the UK variant means that British travellers are banned. The borders are close to us. Um, Americans can go to Morocco and I'm seriously thinking about coming to America for a month and then going on uh, to see if they'll let me in. I've had my vaccine, but I still can't get in. We'll see what happens after Ramadan. I'm banking psychologically on the week after Ramadan Ramadan starts on Tuesday and will end a month later so the week after that I think Morocco will open up to the Brits and then I'll be able to go home Inshallah. so God you,
0: you would be there Elliot uh, we need to think about yeah we can go uh, hiking we can, we can explore some pretty interesting cities lots of cultural uh significance there that's absolutely that, that you thing have all your,
2: all your insider tips I can tell you all the best guides, I, you mm-hmm. know, we really, seriously, boys, you have to think about
0: it. I, oh, I think we will be thinking about
1: it. Yes. Yeah. So, oh, so we, we, Alice, I could talk to you for days and hours <laughs> know, and weeks. I know.
0: I know. Um, are, are we ready to, to wrap up this one? And Alice, I think we'll have to do this again. Are we ready? Yes, to, we will. Yeah. So, so we have a rapid fire round. Yeah, we didn't tell Love you that, it. did we? Yeah, here it comes. Love so, Excellent. <laughs> but before we get into it, can you give us your social media, your websites, the where people can expect your book? If you have an idea of when it's going to be released, I know you're still writing it, but
2: okay. So, the know. really easy thing about me is either just Google Alice Morocco, and you'll find everything, or alicemorrisson.co.uk, and on that I have my Instagram and my Twitter, which are Alice out there one. Uh, I've got my podcast, Alice in Wonderland with an A, and all my books are on Amazon, available in paperback and Kindle, and they are all on alicewarison.co.uk forward slash books.
0: Perfect. 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 Thank you. All right. Are we ready to do this? Elliot, do you want me to take the first question? Yes. All right, Alice. What is the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word
1: travel? Camel. (laughs) What home comfort do you miss the most while traveling?
2: My cat.
0: If you could swim in any liquid, what would it be?
2: Chocolates.
1: Oh, all right. All right. (laughs) We're getting a few chocolates so far. Yeah, it's a good answer, though. Like the the Chocolate River from Willy Wonka. Mm -hmm. What travel book had the biggest influence on your life?
2: Um, The Arabian Sands by Wilfred Thesiger, Crossing of Saudi Arabia.
0: I need to add it to my list, yeah.
2: Oh, it's amazing.
0: Say hello in your favorite language.
1: If you can travel with anyone in the world, living or dead, who would it be?
2: Oh, Freya Stark. She was kind of a Victorian Edwardian female explorer who went all across my patch, the Middle East, and she was so cool. She got arrested for being a spy by the French in Syria. I want to travel with her.
0: Oh, wow. Yes, (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> really, really interesting. Uh, what is one item remaining on your bucket list?
2: I my bucket list is ginormously long, but actually it's probably quite, quite a weird one given what I do. But I would really like to to travel more in America because you have such amazing outdoor beautiful beautiful places and I don't know them at all I've only been to Little Rock in New York so I feel that I would really love to come to America and do a massive trip I don't know cycle across it walk across it ride across it do something across America
1: we have some pretty great trails throughout the United States there's the Appalachian Trail which is probably the shortest there's the Pacific Crest Trail which is the semi-longest that's on the West Coast. And then there's the Continental Divide Trail that actually goes from Canada to Mexico.
0: Yeah, I think the United States is often overlooked as a, a place for the outdoorsy type or those types of adventures. I, I think people automatically just go gravitate towards the cities. But yeah, yeah we have a beautiful outdoors. It's not
1: as far out there as some of like the hiking in Mongolia. Right,
2: right. <laughs> no, but I think you do have a really, really beautiful country, and I would like to come and and sample some of that. And you know, we share a language, but I, the very short times I've been in America, I think culturally we're really different. I think oh, yeah. Europe and yeah. America are very different, and I'm I'm keen to explore that side mm-hmm. of things.
1: Well, yeah. if you ever decide to come over, let us know.
0: We're on the east I- coast. Yeah, oh. let us know. I'll, I'll I'll introduce you to a cheesesteak in Philadelphia. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, sounds good. Yes. Yeah.
0: All right. Where are we, Elliot? I think you're, you're the next one, right?
1: Yes. If you could pick an actress to play you in a movie, who would you choose?
2: That's l- virtually impossible to answer. I need to choose someone really, really young and really, really hot because it would be totally unlike me. Um <laughs> i don't know who's who's like the most beautiful actress around at the moment I, bob
0: i i think you know who would be good like julia roberts could, could,
2: <gasps> yes.
1: i think yes, she could i think she I do was a great thinking, job. i was thinking also yeah. meryl streep yeah yeah oh my yeah.
2: god goddess meryl <laughs> <Yes. That's, laughs> need, yeah, if you're cool. listening to this
0: <laughs> so where where are we here um, if you were stuck in one city for the rest of your life which city would you choose
2: that thought just fills me with absolute and utter horror. Honestly, mm. I mean, <laughs> especially, soon. please don't talk about being stuck when you're in the middle of Corona. That's a cruel question. I'm, I'm going to pass. That's awful. Okay, fair oh. enough. It fair is pretty enough.
1: cruel. It is pretty fair cruel. Enough. All right. And the last question is, what is one piece of advice you'd give to yourself 10 years ago?
2: Oh, um, 10 years ago. What was I doing? I was about to go to Tour Um, Don't worry. It'll be fine.
1: I like it. All right. I like it. Alice, thank mm-hmm. you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank
2: you for having me. It's been such a pleasure.
1: It is. It has been wonderful listening to your stories and hearing, hearing all about your adventures and getting, gaining a lot of inspiration for potential future endeavors.
0: And we will see you in Morocco. Yeah. <laughs>
2: inshallah inshallah yes yes you would love it i think you would love it it's got a real mixture of culture adventure you I know agree with you
0: yeah it's, I agree with
2: africa, you. But it's 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 africa but without some of the you know huge political problems and states of se- semi-conflict that you find in some of the other countries it's great great our, place our and biggest... you have so many landscapes yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. And that's what I think is drawing me. And I know drawing Elliot, because we have a similar idea of, of the types of destinations we want to go to. And our biggest problem is trying to figure out where to go. There's so many options, which is a great problem to have, but a problem nonetheless. Yeah. So, Alice, thank you for coming on.
2: Thank you.
1: At this point, we're going to be going to Morocco in two weeks, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, we listened or listened. We had this conversation <laughs> and we booked Morocco within a week. Yeah. Right. It's,
1: it, it, I mean, I'm it, excited.
0: She, oh man. Absolutely. And it's she talked cool it up country. so
1: much. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And we, we were throwing around the idea, you know, where do we go next? Do we go to Colombia? Do we go back to Peru? Do we go to, uh, I forget New the Zealand, New, New Zealand. Which we is talked a about China point. for a little bit, right? Morocco never would have thought of it. Um, no. but here we are, we're booked and ready to go and I can't wait.
1: Yeah. Same. So thank you for listening. If you love the show and want to help us, you can do so by giving us a rating on iTunes or any podcast platform you listen on. If you want to sort of support the show financially, you can do so through Patreon, as little as a dollar a month or as much as $10 a month. It helps support the show in terms of the subscriptions, software, our time and effort to put into it. So thank you for listening and thank you for being a fan of the
2: show.